right, everybody, welcome back to the Crypto Hedge Fund Summit. Uh, it's been an awesome one so far. We've had a ton of uh, awesome insights from asset allocators and managers, uh, exchanges, and now we're going to take a look uh, with a team uh, over here at a real, uh, just really intense crypto hedge fund. These guys are born and bred in the crypto markets. We, you know, we've talked to guys in the traditional hedge fund world, but these guys are crypto in their veins through and through. That's all they focus on. Um, DeFi, real world assets has been a big theme we've been talking about. And these guys are going to be able to speak to it. This is Space Whale Capital, and I'm joined by uh, three gentlemen from Space Whale. I'll introduce them each here in just a moment. Um, first up, we've got Nick Garcia, uh, who is really heading up the fund as their general partner and CIO. So, Nick, thanks for joining us at the Hedge Fund Summit. How's it going? Thanks, Bryce. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us, man. You bet. Uh, we got Kevin Kolb, who's, who's really running the operations over there. Everything that uh, maybe isn't going on in the front of the house, but going on in the back of the house, Kevin, make sure it gets done. So, Kevin, uh, reporting for duty. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing, Bryce? Thanks for having us on again, man. And it was nice meeting in, uh, in Austin, by the way. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. Uh, I love always, you know, you know, we do the podcast virtually and you can always meet people, but getting out, having a drink together, shooting the shit, nothing better than that. Um, and we got uh, one of the newer members here, Spacewell Capital, Jordan, who is an analyst and a researcher. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Doing good. Thanks. To, uh, thanks for having us back and good to be here. Yeah. No, I just want to get, you know, get your guys' pulse here. You guys are, are, are we on the other side of the bear market? Did you guys navigate the ship? I mean, there was countless hedge funds that blew up. There was countless exchanges that blew up. Now here we are, July of 2023. Are we firmly on the other side of the bear market? Um, Nick, why don't we start with you? Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, looking back at what happened over the last 12 plus months, it's it's incredible to look at like what the actions of few have done uh, in terms of repercussions across the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Um, you know, in my in my opinion, I think we have passed the worst of it for sure. I think on a price basis, you know, we've definitely bottomed. Well, definitely is a, a difficult term to say, but I, I feel highly confident financial advice. that we've bottomed. Nothing you hear is financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm certainly uh, on on the positive side that, that we've, you know, passed the bottom there. And I think on the narrative side, you know, there's a certain aspect to like, honestly, how much worse can it get? The SEC has come after like pretty much every major player across the space uh, and now really not looking so great for it. So I think... From a narrative perspective, from a price perspective, I think we've passed the bottom. You know, I don't think it's going to be straight up only from here, obviously, although we love that. Um, I think, you know, it will have its trials and tribulations. But, you know, on a long term time frame basis, I think we are uh, past the bottom and headed towards sort of the new motherland here, which, you know, hopefully I think over the next sort of 12 to 24 months should play out pretty strongly. Hey, guys, TiVo here to tell you about the UFI video lock, a smart lock a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. 
And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy video lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. And Nick, just to follow back up on one point, um, you know, like now that we kind of are shifting the market environment, if you will, from really just kind of a, a dreadful uh, bear market to kind of this transition, how do you, you know, how were you thinking about managing risk during that period? How were you trying to, you know, create the best returns during that down market? And then kind of how does that shift as we turn back up into what looks to be more of an upwards uh, trending market? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, unlike most funds, we truly, you know, do a majority of our strategies on chain, our allocations on chain. And so, you know, we really avoided a lot of the headaches that happened last year um, in terms of some of these like centralized blowups that happened. Um, you know, we never did, you know, lending on, on a centralized basis, uh, all that stuff we, we really did on chain. So we were able to sort of navigate that pretty well all in all. Um, you know, it wasn't easy for for everyone, but I think compared to most, I think we were able to navigate that very well, primarily because we do a lot of things on chain, um, but also because uh, we, you know, as it was pretty clear that the top had sort of passed and sort of things were starting to crumble, we, you know, took a majority of our portfolio over to stables and concentrated those across, you know, non-directional yields, delta neutral yields, both in DeFi and particularly in real world assets. You know, it's something we really scaled into heavily at that time. So we were able to avoid a lot of the volatility on the price action side and a lot of sort of the blowups on the, on the custodial and sort of centralized lending side of things, um, which honestly, risk management on that perspective really helped us outperform on the downside and on that. So, um, you know, looking back, I think, we'll see a lot more of that going forward. I think we'll see a lot more of these products available on chain. I think we'll see a lot more of these products available on a non-custodial basis, um, you know, as people are legitimately traumatized from what happened. I mean, even though we did a lot of things on chain, it's not like we expected every single thing to happen that did. I mean, there were some things that were a bit more obvious than others, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it. I do think it legitimately traumatized people. And through the bear market, we've seen a lot of developments on, you know, per products, option products, non-custodial exchanges coming out and sort of different solutions that, that, you know, will hopefully solve some of these issues that we saw. Yeah, no, it was, it was kind of incredible to watch. I mean, as I mean, incredible, like a, a hor hor horrifyingly incredible to watch as these things were unwinding. Um, you know, a lot of these people got, you know, stuck with a, a bunch of bad debt right now there's bankruptcies being filed and, People who thought that, you know, they were lending money to somebody who was good for it. Now it's, you know, it's all a Fugazi. Um, but guess what? All the the cent or the decentralized lenders like Maker and Ave, like, you know, they all kept working. Um, you know, they were actually the the 
senior tranche of, of creditors, they were getting paid back first. And I thought that that was really, you know, a cool dynamic to watch unfold in real time is like, you know, people were you know paying back their DeFi uh, protocols before really their centralized, you know, counterparties, if you will. And why do you think that is like, I don't know if, you know, you guys have a thought of why that actually was occurring. Uh, do they fear actually the total loss of their collateral and, you know, versus like maybe that, you know, in the meat space, they'll be able to like kind of, you know, work it out or, or what do you think the was really driving those decisions? I mean, I can do, take a quick stab and, you know, guys feel free to jump in, but I think, you know, the, the short answer of it is that like most of these things on chain are all done on an over collateralized basis, right? The protocols don't really care who you are. They care that they have enough collateral. They can liquidate you. It doesn't matter what you choose to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So naturally like creditors aren't incentivized, um, you know, those that are specifically acting in the best interest of their clients to get the most value out of the liquidation as possible. And so naturally you're trying to get these over collateralized loans paid back first, because that means more money that you have on hand to optimize sort of the, the, the credit liquidation process. Yeah. Makes, makes a ton of sense. Um, and kind of going back to one of the earlier things that you were mentioning, you know, things are looking up, um, you know, we've got a, a new kind of narrative that's going on. Like we've got some of the bad guys behind us. We've cleaned up the act and it feels like to me, again, we're here at the end of July, things like the crypto market just got spanked with a bunch of good news. Like we had the Bitcoin ETF that, you know, 10, you know, institutions just tried to roll out. Um, a few of them are like trillion dollar institutions, BlackRock, Fidelity, Invesco, um, we have what else? The um, you know the uh, Bitcoin halving coming up. Uh, we had XRP come out with all this bullish news. So Jordan, let me let me get your let me pick your mind real quick. Um, what what are we seeing just in terms of you know market um, news? And does it actually match what's going on with kind of the flows? Are people you know are people buying this sort of good news? And do you think that there might be higher prices towards the end of this year? Well, it, there was like a weird little mismatch recently with the XRP news, right? Like we got that great news flow come out and then Bitcoin couldn't even break the range of between 29K to like 31K. And a lot right. of people, that was like a little bit confusing. But one thing that's been going on across the board in the crypto markets is that if you look at like the the cross section of assets across the space, most coins are up pretty big over the past like 30 days. So there's like a decent amount of profits to be taken off the table. And generally speaking, when um, here's like an example of like a data point that like we, we look at internally is if you look at like Binance perps and 90, whenever there's 90% of coins that are in profit over the past uh, 30 days, uh, it's generally not a great time to add risk. So before the XRP news came out, a lot of coins that we were like near that 90% like marker so, um, you know, for us, if you want to talk about ways we manage risk as well internally, we're like, yeah. you know, maybe we're wrong, right? Maybe the data point is wrong and like this news flow just breaks through the data point. But, you know, internally we had the discussion, does this make a, a ton of sense to add at range highs up here for Bitcoin? And then, you know, we had the reversion and just back to more chop. Mm -hmm. um, I, I generally think, you know, to Nick's point that I think the, the, the lows are in, uh, if you look at historical context, like for example, the realized cap, which is the cost basis of Bitcoin holders, for example, usually once Bitcoin breaks above it, it rarely revisits the realized price. But once it breaks above it convincingly, at least, right? So you usually don't even get a revisit of that once you break above the realized price. Um, and, you know, you see, you saw fees pick up on chain. Some of that had to do with the ordinals action that was going on. It's kind of ticked down a little bit recently, but generally speaking, um, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, high conviction that we won't revisit the lows. And I think, you know, that's not even a contrary, like not, it's not even too contrarian at this point. 
And, you know, the other point that I think I brought up on the last time we, we jumped on was the cost to borrow, which mm-hmm. if you look at the perps market, the funding rate, generally, if you look at if you look at funding rates and you know how to parse through the data, um, you pay. There are no free rides in crypto. You pay if you're bullish, funding rates go up. Right. And in bear markets, it's more expensive to short. And what we've seen is a consistent like move upwards in funding rates um, since like the beginning of this year, too. So I think um, in the general outlook, it's kind of just like, you know, keep your head on a swivel, but don't get like too bearish. And, you know, look at like deep, you know, uh, drops in price as opportunities to just accumulate more, but not to like, uh, you know, not blow up in the meantime. Right. Um, So that way, you know, when the bull comes around, Bitcoin breaks all time highs, everyone goes max risk on. Your barber is cutting your hair. It's on you. He made a, like a 10 X on like Cardano or something like that. You know, you're, you're ready to go and you have like some, some, uh, you know, cash to deploy and, you know, bullets still left in the, in the holster. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. The tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. It's, it's such a funny thing that you mentioned the barber. Um, literally, like if I would have taken a signal like that in May of 2021, I was checking out of a hotel in Vegas. And my bellhop gets to the door and he recognizes me. He's like, Hey dude, uh, you're Bryce. I listen to your podcast. I follow you on YouTube. And I was like, Oh my gosh. He's like, let's get a picture. Like you're changing my life. Like I'm getting a house in the Ozarks, like all this crazy shit. I'm like, wow, that was so surreal. Like crypto's going mainstream. Like that was literally like the top right before uh, Luna collapsed. And I was like, man. So everybody who's watching, if you guys take signals like that in your life, use them, right? They're really strong indicators of sentiment in the market. And clearly things were overblown. But then on the flip side, you know, I'll get people in the bear markets. It happens every time who are like, oh, I know Bryce is the crypto guy. Let's check on in him. You know, I got so many texts during the FTX collapse. People always kind of morbid curiosity looking over, seeing if you blew up yet or anything like that. And so that was a great time to be a buyer, right? I mean, that's right towards the bottom of the market. And so when, you know, always use those indicators and I'm sure you guys have those people in your life, you know, when, when mom texts you, is everything okay with crypto or whatever, you know, that's a good time to be buying. But, uh, is there, is there any other indicators that you guys look at or indications of, you know, how do you know when it's a good time to be buying? Right. And like you said, like you knew, um, because, you know, certain things were overblown towards the high of the range. You couldn't break out convincingly. You knew it wasn't a good time to add risk, but do you guys look at anything else to, to say, Hey, now's a good time to go risk on. Um, I would generally say like, it's, it's a combination of metrics, right? Like generally speaking, like the best times to buy are when, uh, multiple metrics, like, like three to five or six metrics, they all line up and it's like, all right, mm. price has been, price has been clobbered. 
but there's a sign of a trend shift basically. And that's kind of like the stuff that we look for when we get like very high conviction, that's when we like to make our bigger bets. Generally speaking though, when things kind of get towards the middle, like the middle in terms of conviction of like bullishness um, or at the top where we're like, obviously just like outright bears or whatever. That's like when we kind of want to like, we tone down the level of exposure we like to have in the market, at least for the discretionary part of the book. Um, but we do, uh, I'm trying to think of any other metrics that we have that we use. Um, yeah, we have a, we, I was yeah. going to say, one of the things that I, I just picked up on there that sounded you know worth repeating is that like whenever you might have a, a set of indicators that you're looking at, look for confluence, right? Look for like, hey, three, four, five of them are all pointing in the same direction. Um, and it's just starting, like, you know, starting to rip above the 50 or whatever it is. And they're all kind of starting to move in the same direction. And then you could kind of use that as a little bit of a confluence as opposed to just looking at one indicator where you might just get faked out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You could like look at like, for example, let's just list some off, right? Like some on-chain data, something like the realized price, or you can, uh, one, one thing we like to look at a lot is it's on the Glassnode website on Workbench. It's, it's called the market realized gradient, which it basically compares the performance of market cap versus the realized cap hmm. um, over like a 14 or 28 day period, right? So effectively, whenever realized cap has outperformed the market cap over 14 or 28 days, it's a good time to get bearish because it's telling you the cost basis of holders has gone up more than the price has, right? Got it. So it starts to tell you things are getting a little top heavy. But other things you can look at, like for example, on the XRP breakout at the top of the range, open interest on BTC and ETH ripped through the roof, right? So it was a very perps driven move. It wasn't very, um, it wasn't insanely spot driven by the looks of it. And then you can just like look at funding rates. Like you can look at the average funding rate across multiple assets to see like, all right, well, people are just really adding risk here as well. Um, so, you know, th those are different ways you can like uh, skin the cat, so yeah. to speak. Do yeah. you ever have um, like, oh, I'm going to buy the 50 day breakout or the, you know, buy the retest of the 20 day moving average? Or do you not really look at like uh, technical indicators like that? Are you more just an on chain and kind of funding rates type strategies? No, I actually do like uh, like technicals. Um, you know, I, back in the day when you first get into crypto, it's like the only thing you know about. Like, I feel like right, I got into the space in 2016 and I remember the only thing people would talk about is TA. For but sure. then, keep, in mind, keep in mind, because there was like very few data providers, right? Like perps didn't exist. Um, you know, the glass node didn't exist. Point metrics, I don't think came out till like late 2016, 2017. So there wasn't really any other way to look at stuff. So back then it was actually a relatively easy space because there was no other tools at your disposal. Um, but yeah, I, I do like uh, um, technical analysis. And I think it's useful to see like, you know, people respect horizontal levels, right? Like we've seen that in this range that's been going on. The top and bottom of the range has been horizontal. Um, so it's a good way to just add another piece of confluence. And then, you know, depending on, which metrics you prefer, you can weight them accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess open up the floor. This one will go for anybody, but I guess the question um, I get a lot um, is like, how do you know in, you know, in a sea of 25,000 different cryptocurrencies, like shit, how do you know which one is worth buying? Um, is there a fundamental analysis that you should do? Is it all just looking at liquidity? And like you said, all these indicators, or is there actually a level of fundamental analysis that goes into the selection um in, in, yeah what do you guys think i mean i, I can jump in with a quick stab at that i mean i think and this almost is like an extension of the, of the last question you guys are talking about but you know to me it largely comes down to this you know blend of like fundamental factors and narrative factors yeah right so you know so like there are you know 
profitability factors, token value accrual factors, you know, supply release schedule factors. Like there are actually like fundamental data points that are really helpful in, in, in understanding like what direction the price is going to go in. But there's also narrative points, you know, where like there have been a lot of scenarios where like fundamentally things make sense, but like narratively, you know, there there are things that that may be going against it. And so it, it, it takes time. I think the, the biggest beauty of things is actually when you get an alignment of these like fundamental and narrative driven things, especially when those things sort of cross against multiple protocols and chains. So like one example that I'll sort of specify is sort of this like growth of RWA and what that means, right? So when we started, you know, Fortunify back in 2020, um, RWA was not a thing, right? This is like not an industry. This is like not a growing trend at the time. It was definitely something that was, you know, for all intensive purposes, a bit early. I mean, even in 2018, there was an original push for RWA, which is way too early. Um, even if like fundamentally, you know, some of it makes sense. What we're seeing today is RWA is hyperscaling, right? We're seeing demand on chain from different protocols. We're seeing, uh, you know, all these large public institutions from Bank of America, the city to, you know, literally Alliance Bernstein, I mean, BCG, everyone that are putting out, you know, legitimate projections of, you know, the the total market opportunity of these things being at like 16 trillion, you know, by, by 2030, which is a significant, you know, uh, projection uh, from the markets today. Um, and it doesn't come into account a lot of, you know, sort of the integrations with permissionless networks that we're seeing. Um, and that we're enabling through Fortunify. So I think this number can be significantly larger. But the beauty here of bringing this together is that fundamentally, right, RWAs make a lot of sense. Narratively, they now make a lot of sense. And what we're seeing is that these things are now getting integrated across different layer ones and layer twos and different DeFi protocols, right? So why has Maker been doing pretty well? Well, they, you know, turned profitable. They have a buyback mechanism, which is, you know, taking 15 million and, and buying back Maker ILPs, which, you know, is a pretty sizable supply chunk as that continues to grow, um, which will have a positive, you know, impact on price, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, I think it's a fair assumption. Uh, you know, and, you know, Compound has seen some pretty big success there, right? We've seen Leshner uh, spin out and, and spin up a, you know, money market fund that will be open to on-chain investors, supposedly. And so I think there is like an expectation that this will be integrated into Compound, you know, we've seen Ave integrating real world assets with Centrifuge. And so both of those are doing really well. You know, we have our assets from Fortunify on uh, both Centrifuge and Ave today and, and Maker as well, actually. So this integration of things is sort of like getting an empowerment across the DeFi layer one protocols, which we're now seeing that sort of translate into price action uh, for those. So that's just, you know, an example that I'll, I'll point out of stars aligning in a pretty supreme way, which have not been priced in, in my opinion, to the markets yet. Yeah, that's incredible. And and it was funny because as you're talking about RWAs, I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to ask him like, uh, you know, what are some good protocols that are crushing it? And then bam, you followed it up right there with, um, you know, the Aves, the makers, the compounds of the world. To me, it really feels like a renaissance uh, or rebirth of, you know, ETH, DeFi, the OG synthetics is getting new front ends and fixing up all their crummy user interface and uh, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, now you know we're we're going into maybe the age of uh, you know more usability and and just better apps and stuff. But I, I think for people at home who who are watching this, they might be curious, like, hey, like you know RWAs, it sounds good in in theory. Um, and I 
you know, maybe people have credit cards that work wherever they want and they have, you know, the ability to get mortgages and loans and small business, you know, help and stuff. And so they might not see the outset. Um, but people in like, you know, the developing world, like need access to a lot of these technologies that all you need to get a loan, um, is, you know, your, your wallet address. Um, you don't need certain levels of, you know, identification or credit checks and all that stuff that, you know, developing world can't really do. So I think the technology is, you know, on the long tail going to be super, super beneficial to helping like just GDP across the world. But is there a way, and this might sound short-minded, but I know a lot of people are thinking it, is there a way to make money in the short term by using these protocols? Like, RP, like I know there was yield farming and liquidity mining and everybody was making buku bucks. Is there a new way to do that with uh, RWA? There was yield farming. So here's what happened, right? Like there was yield farming. What happened? Well, like what happened is that like a majority of the underlying yields associated with these yield farms were like highly inflationary base yields, right? And so as the market collapsed, those yields collapsed because the underlying inflation is worth less effectively. And so you get this dilutive selling sort of cycle, which like crashes these yields. One of the beauties of RWA, right, is that by introducing a high quality base yield to these protocols, I call it the protocolization of RWA, right? You now have an actual, you know, what we before used to look at for high quality protocols, like, you know, revenue, profitability, how can they drive value to their token? You know, now by introducing RWAs to these protocols, there is a real underlying source of yield, which means there's a lot more users that come to the platform to get, they get attracted to it. Um, and then that sort of compounds into a lot of other things, right? So this protocolization of RWA means that like with an underlying high quality yield, you can have different, you know, incentives on top of that, which get to a much higher yield, but you still have this high quality base underlying yield, which, you know, maybe back in the day was like profitability of a protocol. You know, these days it could be profitability plus RWA plus incentives. And so you have a much more legitimate stack of yields, if you will. Um, that is, you know, what I think is sort of creating a renaissance here for DeFi uh, 1.0 at least. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, now, now what, you know, Kev, maybe I'll go to you real quick. Um, in terms of just like the, the landscape for investor appetite, are you guys fielding a lot of calls inbound? Um, are people scared trying to, you know, maybe even, you know, withdraw their money from the fund or like what's, you know, the overall sentiment of investors that you've kind of been able to interact with in the past couple months, at least. Yeah, I mean, obviously, 2022 was uh, tough for fundraising. You know, um, people were taking a hit, weren't really looking to deploy um, with the market kind of in shambles. Um, from what we've seen recently, you know, a lot of investors are looking for a more uh, stable kind of uh, yield fund. Um, so that's kind of what we uh, adapted to, you know, because um, investors, if they're if they're looking for volatility, if they're looking for exposure to the market, you know, they can always just buy Bitcoin or ETH on their own. Um, some things that they can't do, you know, is participate in, uh, certain, uh, reward asset pools, for example, or different DeFi protocols. Um, so that's what we're kind of trying to cater to right now. Um, delivering, you know, a low risk, uh, base yield, um, uncorrelated to the market, um, and just delivering positive returns month over month. Yeah. And is, you know, I, I, I'm curious, like, how does a high government interest rate or a high like you know benchmark i guess how does that affect um a credit fund or something that might be structured like that because or market neutral fund because if it's so easy to get you know 4% yield from a government bond if you go out the risk curve i guess it makes it you know a lot harder to get a higher yield than that 
and you take on a lot extra risk, maybe. Um, do you guys find any difficulties like in a, in a rising rate environment for, for strategies like that? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. And we have seen a lot of funds, uh, you know, just electing the whole treasury and get that four or five percent base yield uh, instead. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we're still going to outperform that pretty, pretty massively. Um, and I'll, I'll let maybe Nick take it, take it from there on the interest rate front. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, right, if your base like risk rate of return obviously is is increasing because, you know, you can get treasuries, right? Like, you know, what do tokenized treasuries on chain enable, for example, right? We, you know, at Fortunify just recently announced that we're launching tokenized treasuries on Canto. Mm -hmm. And Canto has a whole stable coin market, a money market. They have, you know, several different DeFi sort of applications there. And, and this sort of same concept exists, you know, uh, across sort of the crypto sector, right? And so being able to, take a treasury, for example, and um, borrow a yielding stablecoin against that and create a low leverage, but still high underlying treasury, you know, you can get to like a double digit yield uh, with the same underlying risk um, simply by, you know, managing sort of the on-chain risks associated with accessing these things, which we've set up a, a good infrastructure to do here at the fund. Um, and so we've been able to significantly outperform. I mean, it's not just RWA strategies either, right? There are different cross-chain emerging DeFi protocols that have really unique opportunities that, you know, I think a lot of the folks in the market just are not aware of, but we do a lot on the venture side as well, which, you know, has given us access and insights to a lot of these different early stage uh, emerging DeFi protocol yields. Obviously, we do a lot of research as well in the market to, to find alpha, but um, we found a lot of great opportunities um, allocating stable coins, in some cases spot that will hedge as well to these protocols and, you know, doing some cross protocol operations, some, you know, within protocol optimizations of these yields uh, to achieve, you know, much higher double digit yields than, for example, holding treasuries um, with the idea of, you know, capturing alpha in crypto, uh, but managing that downside risk as well and offering investors sort of an alternative uh, place to park capital. So that's, you know, what Kevin was mentioning, like one of the newer strategies we actually just launched, which, you know, we have been in fact able to raise capital from a couple fund of funds this year in terms of bringing them into that, that vehicle. So, um, you know, it's not been easy broadly to raise capital, um, you know, but, but uh, we've seen demand there. Awesome. Um, Jordan, let me pick your brain real quick on just some tools that you use to analyze the market. Um, I know you guys have a lot of paid premium tools probably, but are there any that are that maybe also free to use or have some lower level options that, you know, all the good citizens of Crypt Nation who are watching uh, could go check out on their own? I'll be honest. Um, so most of what I do is I operate out of APIs. So I use like the Binance API, the Deribit API, the Bybit API. Um, so you build everything API yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we we build everything internally, and we have That's our own inter cool. internal uh, website, just hosting all these different metrics. It's probably I don't know, it's like twenty tabs now or something like that. That's so awesome. we do that. We use DeFi Llama, so all this stuff is free. And one thing I think that people don't realize, especially if you're like pretty comfortable with um, with Excel, right, is that you can pick up Python coding to pull from these APIs like pretty seamlessly. It's not that difficult. Um, I know that's like a pretty lame answer that I think a lot of people probably don't want to hear, but very a lot of answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot we of, don't trust any other data. We do it all on ourselves. <laughs> just yeah, smart. Well, well, you can smart just get money. more, you get more like customized stuff, right? Cause it's like the same thing. Like, let's say you, you buy a book and you buy like 
uh, I don't, hopefully nobody gets mad at me for saying this. Something like how to make friends and what's the, how to win friends and influence people or something like right, that. Right, like right. if everybody reads that book, you're not getting a ton of alpha by being one of like a billion people that has read that book. Right. right. So what's nice about building about being able to pull the raw data directly from the source and keep in mind, all these exchanges at a minimum provide their API data for free is that you can make some really custom stuff and get some really unique looks at the market. Um, but like, you know, honestly, like if you really want to keep it simple, you know, I, I like Glassnode a lot. I, I used to, I'm a little bit biased. I, I worked there for a bit. Um, but you know, Glassnode's got a decent set of data for relatively affordable prices. Um, but, and otherwise, you know, DeFi Llama is something that we're pretty fond of as well. You know, they have a pretty robust data set. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, we played around with it recently. I haven't really... I haven't dove in deep as much as I have, as I should have into the AI stuff, but I know they've AI uh, open AI plugin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that is probably the best, if you want to do it the best way, in my opinion, it's to just start pulling from the APIs and get the data raw yourself and start playing with it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Very, uh, I guess, very nerdy hedge fundy answer. No, Hey, it makes sense. Uh, DIY, uh, do it yourself. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's the best. Um, yeah. So yeah, so so we covered a lot. There's a lot of a lot of different ways um, to look at the market right now. Um, I think we could all kind of agree, you know, in the near term, definitely bullish. Uh, you know, maybe s some slight room for breathing in the market, um, but long term, I mean, especially when you consider just the the golden age period we're moving into with with BlackRock, right, and all this, you know, great stuff. Hopefully, we don't get shut down, or else the market's going to nuke um, on that filing, but we'll see. Um, but the Bitcoin having, that's the last thing I wanted to touch on, um, while I still have you guys, because, you know, every four years, this thing happens in about, you know, 15 or 18 months after the having happens, you're like, you know, at the top of the market, everybody's losing their minds. And so that's just about, you know, the having, I think is nine months away. Um, do you guys have any general thoughts on, on what's, what's going on with the having, um, or, or can you inform anybody about your guys's view of uh, how this moves the market? Um, well, I, I think one thing that's to be said about the halving is that, you know, with each halving, um, I think, you know, obviously less and less coins are hitting the market from miners. And I think the mining market, I think, keep in mind, I'm not an expert the Bitcoin on the mining. miners. Yeah, Bitcoin miners. Yeah, the Bitcoin mining market is not, is much more efficient than it used to be, right? You have all these different ways to hedge exposure. The options market has exploded in terms of people using it now. I know Deribit, the open interest is almost, uh, surpassed like Binance total open interest for Bitcoin, or maybe it already has. Um, so there's all different, all these different ways for miners to hedge out their exposure. So, um, I, I'd assume that, uh, that it doesn't have as much of an impact as it has historically, just because there's all these different ways to manage the risk for miners. And it's not as much of a dumb market anymore in terms of like the miners, you know, they, uh, this does tend to happen, but like, uh, if you look at historical data, for example, you know, the easiest way to check that if miners are getting squeezed or not is how fast block times are coming in, right? If block times get really slow, miners are getting squeezed really bad. And one thing that we've seen over time, outside of that large China ban that happened right after the Coinbase IPO when the market nuked. Yeah, like May 2021. Um, yeah, yeah. You'll notice, though, if you like track block times and you put like a, some sort of smooth moving average on it, um, the spikes don't get as crazy anymore. Um, and that I think is a testament to the fact that the market has just become substantially more efficient in that regard. Um, obviously empirically, I don't really have like the inter internal data from these miners to prove that. Um, but just from like looking from a bird's eye view. So that's kind of my expectation. And I think we're perfectly lined up for just another go of, uh, another bull run right around the having, mm -hmm. 
you know, just even expanding further outwards. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, those are my thoughts on it. I'll just add a couple like <clears throat> slightly bullish leaning thoughts on top of that. Uh, since that was a more risk, risk managed perspective there, I would say. <laughs> that was more good tempered man, uh, answer than what I'm about to give. <laughs> I, I would I would say that like I mean if you keep it simple right this is all about supply and demand like historically in every other cycle we've ever been where we're coming into a, a havening like that was the one thing that got us out of the bear market right it was the havening that that was going to get us out of the bear market and like every bear market like it was you know could have been the last one like right. until now right so I think the su supply and demand you know dynamics have shifted significantly where like supply obviously is just obviously continue to get more and more in favor. Right. So we have a happening that supply, but you know, demand I think has never had like a real chance of like hyper growing the way that it does going into this next cycle with these institutions taking a look and these ETF products coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, like what GBTC did um, and obviously it is a little different than GBTC, but like in effect, these legitimately larger uh, institutions that are going to offer this and now effectively create a global sales force to shill Bitcoin and likely ETH, um, you know, after that is, is I think like an unheard of growth and demand that like we haven't seen going into previous happenings. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this one surprised us a little bit more than the other ones did. Let's go. I love that. Wouldn't surprise me if we're all surprised. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's the, that's the Bitcoin mantra. Um, so, so Kevin, let me wrap things up with you, man. How do people get involved with space whale capital? If they're out there, maybe they're watching, they're impressed by you guys. They want to learn more about either following you guys or maybe investing with you guys. Is that even possible? Yeah, sure. I mean, they can check out our website, uh, spacewhale.capital, um, kind of see some of our, uh, select portfolio companies, uh, learn a little bit more about uh, what we're doing over there, learn a little bit more about the team, and you can just contact us through there. Incredible. Um, sounds good. Well, boys, thank you for joining us here at the Crypto Hedge Fund Summit. We'll have you back next year. Um, and take care of yourself. Thanks, Bryce. Awesome. Thanks, Bryce. Thank you. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.